Section 6 of the Natural History, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Natural History, Volume 3 by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 6. Chapter 58. The Cheeks. Below the eyes are the cheeks, a feature which is found in man only. From the ancients they have received the name of Gina, and by the laws of the Twelve Tables women were forbidden to tear them. The cheeks are the seat of bashfulness. It is on them more particularly that blushes are to be seen. Chapter 59. The Nostrils. Within the cheeks is the mouth, which gives such strong indications of the feelings of joyousness and laughter, and above it, but in man only, is the nose, which modern notions have stamped as the exponent of sarcasm and ridicule. In no other animal but man is the nose thus prominent. Birds, serpents, and fishes have no nostrils, but apertures only for the purpose of smell. It is from the peculiarity of the nose that are derived the surnames of Simus and Silo. Children born in the seventh month often have the ears and the nostrils imperforate. Chapter 60. The mouth, the lips, the chin, and the jawbone. It is from the labia, or lips, that the brochi have received the surname of labio. All animals that are viviparous have a mouth that is either well-formed or harshly defined, as the case may be. Instead of lips and mouth, the birds have a beak that is horny and sharp at the end. With birds that live by rapine, the beak is hooked inwards, but with those which gather and peck only, it is straight. Those animals again, which root up grass or puddle in the mud, have the muzzle broad, like swine. The beasts of burden employ the mouth in place of hands in gathering their food, while those which live by rapine and slaughter have it wider than the rest. No animal, with the exception of man, has either chin or cheekbones. The crocodile is the only animal that has the upper jawbone movable. Among the land quadrupeds it is the same as with other animals, except that they can move it obliquely. Chapter 61. The teeth. The various kinds of teeth. In what animals they are not on both sides of the mouth. Animals which have hollow teeth. Teeth are arranged in three different ways. Serrated, in one continuous row, or else protruding from the mouth. When serrated, they unite together just like those of a comb, in order that they may not be worn by rubbing against one another, as in serpents, fishes, and dogs, for instance. In some creatures, they are set in one continuous row, man and the horse, for instance, while in the wild boar, the elephant, and the hippopotamus, they protrude from the mouth. Among those set in one continuous row, the teeth which divide the food are broad and sharp, while those which grind it are double. The teeth which lie between the incisive and the molar teeth are those known as the canine or dog teeth. These are by far the largest in those animals which have serrated teeth. Those animals which have a continuous rows of teeth have them either situate on both sides of the mouth, as in the horse, or else have no fore teeth in the upper part of the mouth, as is the case with oxen, sheep, and all the animals that ruminate. The she-goat has no upper teeth except the two front ones. No animals which have serrated teeth have them protruding from the mouth. Among these two, the females rarely have them, and to those that do have them, they are of no use. Hence it is that while the boar strikes, the sow bites. No animal with horns has projecting teeth, and all such teeth are hollow, while in other animals the teeth are solid. All fish have the teeth serrated, with the exception of the scarus, this being the only one among the aquatic animals that has them level at the edges. 
In addition to this, there are many fishes which have teeth upon the tongue and over the whole of the mouth, in order that by the multitude of the bites which they inflict, they may soften those articles of food which they could not possibly manage by tearing. Many animals also have teeth in the palate and even in the tail, in addition to which some have them inclining to the interior of the mouth, that the food may not fall out, the animal itself having no other means of retaining it there. Chapter 62 the teeth of serpents, their poison, a bird which has teeth. The asp also and other serpents have similar teeth, but in the upper jaw on the right and left they have two of extreme length which are perforated with a small tube in the interior, just like the sting of the scorpion, and it is through these that they eject their venom. The writers who have made the most diligent inquiries on the subject inform us that this venom is nothing but the gall of the serpent, and that it is conveyed to the mouth by certain veins which run beneath the spine. Indeed, there are some who state that there is only one poison fang, and that being barbed at the end, it is bent backwards when the animal has inflicted a bite. Other writers, however, affirm that on such an occasion the fang falls out, as it is very easily displaced, but that it soon grows again. This tooth, they say, is thus wanting in the serpents which we see handled about by persons. It is also stated that the fang exists in the tail of the scorpion, and that most of these animals have no less than three. The teeth of the viper are concealed in the gums. The animal being provided with a similar venom exercises the pressure of its fangs for the purpose of instilling the poison in its bite. No winged creatures have teeth, with the sole exception of the bat. The camel is the only one among the animals without horns that has no foreteeth in the upper jaw. None of the horned animals have serrated teeth. Snails, too, have teeth, a proof of which are the vetches which we find gnawed away by snails of very smallest size. To assert that among marine animals, those that have shells, and those that are cartilaginous, have four teeth, and that the sea urchin has five teeth, I am very much surprised how such a notion could have possibly arisen. With insects, the sting supplies the place of teeth. The ape has teeth just like those in man. Elephant has in the interior of the mouth fourteen teeth, adapted for chewing. In addition to those which protrude, in the male these are curved inwards, but in the female they are straight and project outwards. The sea mouse, a fish which goes before the balena, has no teeth at all, but in place of them the interior of the mouth is lined with bristles, as well as the tongue and palate. Among the smaller land quadrupeds, the two foreteeth in each jaw are the longest. Chapter 63 Wonderful Circumstances Connected with the Teeth the other animals are born with teeth, whereas man has them only at the seventh month after his birth. While other animals keep their teeth to the time of their death, man, the lion, the beast of burden, the dog, and the ruminating animals all change them. The lion and the dog, however, change none but the canine teeth. The canine tooth of the wolf on the right side is held in high esteem as an amulet. There is no animal that changes the maxillary teeth, which stand beyond the canine teeth. With man, the last teeth, which are known as the genuine, or cheek teeth, come about the twentieth year, and with many men, the females as well, so late even as the eightieth, but this only in the case of those who have not had them in their youth. It is a well-known fact that the teeth are sometimes shed in old age and replaced by others. Musanus has stated that he himself saw one Zocles, a native of Samothrace, who had a set of teeth when he was past his one hundredth and fourth year. In addition to these facts, in man males have more teeth than females, which is the case also in sheep, goats, and swine. Timarchus, the son of Nicocles, the Paphian, had a double row of teeth in his jaws. 
The same person had a brother also who never changed his front teeth, and consequently wore them to the very stumps. There is an instance also of a man having a tooth growing in the palate. The canine teeth, when lost by any accident, are never known to come again. While in all other animals the teeth grow of a tawny colour with old age, with the horse, and him only, they become whiter the older he grows. Chapter 64. How an estimate is formed of the age of animals from their teeth. The age, in beasts of burden, is indicated by the teeth. In the horse they are forty in number. At thirty months it loses the two foreteeth in either jaw, and in the following year the same number next to them. At the time of that the eye-teeth come. At the beginning of the fifth year the animal loses two teeth, which grow again in the sixth, and in the seventh it has all its teeth, those which have replaced the others and those which have never been changed. If a horse is gelded before it changes its teeth, it never sheds them. In a similar manner also the ass loses four of its teeth in the thirtieth month, and the others from six months to six months. If a she-ass happens not to have foaled before the last of these teeth are shed, it is sure to be barren. Oxen change their teeth at two years old, with swine they are never changed. When these several indications of age have been lost in horses and other beasts of burden, the age is ascertained by the projecting of the teeth, the greyness of the hair in the eyebrows, and the hollow pits that form around them. At this period the animal is supposed to be about sixteen years old. In the human teeth there is a certain venom, for if they are placed uncovered before a mirror they will tarnish its brightness, and they will kill young pigeons while yet unfledged. The other particulars relative to the teeth have been already mentioned under the head of the generation of man. When teething first commences the bodies of infants are subject to certain maladies. Those animals which have serrated teeth inflict the most dangerous bites. Chapter 65. The Tongue, Animals Which Have No Tongue, The Noise Made By Frogs, The Palate. The tongue is not similarly formed in all animals. Serpents have a very thin tongue and three forked, which they vibrate to and fro. It is of a black colour, and when drawn from out of the mouth, of extraordinary length. The tongue of the lizard is two forked and covered with hair. That of the sea calf also is twofold, but with the serpents it is of the thinness of a hair. The other animals employ it to lick the parts around the mouth. Fishes have nearly the whole of the tongue adhering to the palate, while in the crocodile the whole of it does adhere thereto. But in the aquatic animals the palate, which is fleshy, performs the duty of the tongue as the organ of taste. In lions, pards, and all the animals of that class, and in cats as well, the tongue is covered with asperities which overlap each other and bear a strong resemblance to a rasp. Such being its formation, if the animal licks a man's skin, it will wear it away by making it thinner and thinner, for which reason it is that the saliva of even a perfectly tame animal, being thus introduced to the close vicinity of the blood, is apt to bring on madness. Of the tongue of the purple we have made mention already. With the frog, the end of the tongue adheres to the mouth, while the inner part is disjointed from the sides of the gullet, and it is by this means that the males give utterance to their croaking, at the season at which they are known as oligogones. This happens at stated periods of the year, at which the males invite the females for the purposes of propagation. Letting down the lower lip to the surface of the water, they receive a small portion of it in the mouth, and then by quavering with the tongue make a gurgling noise from which the croaking is produced, which we hear. In making this noise, the folds of the mouth, becoming distended, are quite transparent, and the eyes start from the head and burn again with the effort. Those insects which have a sting in the lower part of the body have teeth and a tongue as well. With bees it is of considerable length, and in the grasshopper it is very prominent. 
Those insects which have a fistula sting in the mouth have neither tongue nor teeth, while others again have a tongue in the interior of the mouth, the ant for instance. In the elephant the tongue is remarkably broad, and while with all other animals, each according to its kind, it is always perfectly at liberty, with man and him alone, it is often found so strongly tied down by certain veins that it becomes necessary to cut them. We find it stated that the pontiff Metellus had a tongue so ill-adapted for articulation that he is generally supposed to have voluntarily submitted to torture for many months while preparing to pronounce the speech which he was about to make on the dedication of the temple of Opifera. In most persons the tongue is able to articulate with distinctness at about the seventh year, and many know how to employ it with such remarkable skill as to be able to imitate the voices of various birds and other animals with the greatest exactness. The other animals have the sense of taste centred in the fore part of the tongue, but in man it is situated in the palate as well. Chapter 66. The tonsils, the uva, the epiglossis, the artery, the gullet. In man there are tonsils at the root of the tongue. These in swine are called glandules. The ovula, which is suspended between them at the extremity of the palate, is found only in man. Beneath this lies a smaller tongue known by the name of epiglossis, but it is wanting in animals that are oviparous. Placed as it is between two passages, the functions of the epiglottis are of a twofold nature. The one of these passages that lies more inward is called the tracheal artery, and leads to the lungs and the heart. The epiglottis covers it during the action of eating, that the drink or food may not go the wrong way, and so be productive of suffering, as it is by this passage that the breath and the voice are conveyed. The other, or exterior passage, is called the gulla, and it is by this passage that the victuals and drink pass. This leads to the belly, while the former one communicates with the chest. The epiglottis covers the pharynx in its turn when only the breath or the voice is passing, in order that the victuals may not inopportunely pass upwards, and so disturb the breathing or articulation. The tracheal artery is composed of cartilage and flesh, while the gullet is formed of a sinewy substance united with flesh. Chapter 67. The Neck, the Throat, the Dorsal Spine The neck is found to exist in no animal but those which have both these passages. All the others which have the gullet only have nothing but a gorge or throat. In those which have a neck, it is formed of several rounded vertebrae, and is flexible and joined together by distinct articulations, to allow of the animal turning round the head to look. The lion, the wolf, and the hyena are the only animals in which it is formed of a single rigid bone. The neck is annexed to the spine and the spine to the loins. The vertebral column is of a bony substance but rounded and pierced within to afford a passage for the marrow to descend from the brain. It is generally concluded that the marrow is of the same nature as the brain from the fact that if the membrane of exceeding thinness which covers it is pierced, death immediately ensues. Those animals which have long legs have a long throat as well, which is the case also with aquatic birds, although they have short legs as well as with those which have hooked talons. Chapter 68. The Throat, the Gullet, the Stomach Man only and the swine are subject to swellings in the throat, which are mostly caused by the noxious quality of the water which they drink. The upper part of the gullet is called the fosses, the lower the stomach. By this name is understood a fleshy concavity situate behind the tracheal artery and joining the vertebral column. It extends in length and breadth like a sort of chasm. Those animals which have no gullet have no stomach either, nor yet any neck or throat, fishes for example, and in all those the mouth communicates immediately with the belly. The sea tortoise has neither tongue nor teeth. It can break anything, however, with the sharp edge of its muzzle. 
After the tracheal artery there is the esophagus, which is indented with hard asperities, resembling bramble thorns for the purpose of levigating the food, the incisions gradually becoming smaller as they approach the belly. The roughness at the very extremity of this organ strongly resembles that of a blacksmith's file. Chapter 69. The Heart, the Blood, the Vital Spirit in all other animals but man the heart is situate in the middle of the breast in man alone it is placed just below the pap on the left hand side the smaller end terminating in a point and bearing outward it is among the fish only that this point is turned towards the mouth it is asserted that the heart is the first among the viscera that is formed in the foetus then the brain and last of all the eyes it is said too that the eyes are the first organs that die and the heart is the very last of all the heart also is the principal seat of the heat of the body. It is constantly palpitating and moves as though it were one animal enclosed within another. It is also enveloped in a membrane equally supple and strong and is protected by the bulwarks formed by the ribs and the bone of the breast as being the primary source and origin of life. It contains within itself the primary receptacles for the spirit and the blood in its sinuous cavity which in the larger animals is threefold and in all twofold at least. Here it is that the mind has its abode. From this source proceed two large veins, which branch into the fore part and the back of the body, and which, spreading out into a series of branches, convey the vital blood by other small veins over all parts of the body. This is the only one among the viscera that is not affected by maladies, nor is it subject to the ordinary penalties of human life, but when injured it produces instant death. While all the other viscera are injured, vitality may still remain in the heart. Chapter 70. Those animals which have the largest heart, and those which have the smallest. What animals have two hearts? Those animals are looked on as stupid and lumpish, which have a hard, rigid heart, while those in which it is small are courageous, and those are timid, which have it very large. The heart is the largest in proportion to the body in the mouse, the hare, the ass, the stag, the panther, the weasel, the hyena, and all the animals, in fact, which are timid or dangerous only from the effects of fear. In Paphlagonia, the partridge has a double heart. In the heart of the horse and the ox, there are bones sometimes found. It is said that the heart increases every year in man, and that the two drachma in weight are added yearly up to the fiftieth year, after which period it decreases yearly in a similar ratio, and that it is for this reason that men do not live beyond their hundredth year, the heart then failing them. Thus is the notion entertained by the Egyptians, whose custom it is to embalm the bodies of the dead, and so preserve them. It is said that men have been born with the heart covered with hair, and that such persons are excelled by none in valour and energy, such, for instance, as Aristomenes, the Messenian, who slew three hundred Lacedaemians. Being covered with wounds and taken prisoner, he, on one occasion, made his escape by a narrow hole which he discovered in the stone quarry where he was imprisoned, while in pursuit of a fox which had found that mode of exit. Being again taken prisoner while his guards were fast asleep, he rolled himself towards a fire close by, and at the expense of his body burnt off the cords by which he was bound. On being taken a third time, the Lacedaemians opened his breast while he was still alive, and his heart was found covered with hair. Chapter 71. When the custom was first adopted of examining the heart in the inspection of the entrails. On examination of the entrails, to find a certain fatty part on the top of the heart is looked upon as a fortunate presage. 
Still, however, the heart has not always been considered as forming a part of the entrails for this purpose. It was under Lucius Posthumus Albinus, the king of the sacrifices, and after the 126th Olympiad, when King Piraeus had quitted Italy, that the Arispices began to examine the heart as part of the consecrated entrails. The first day that the dictator Caesar appeared in public, clothed in purple and sitting on a seat of gold, the heart was twice found wanting when he sacrificed. From this circumstance has arisen a great question among those who discuss matters connected with divination, whether it was possible for the victim to have lived without the organ, or whether it had been lost at the very moment of its death. It is asserted that the heart cannot be burnt of those persons who die of the cardiac disease, and the same is said of those who die by poison. At all events, there is still in existence an oration pronounced by Vitellius in which he accuses Piso of this crime, and employs this alleged fact as one of his proofs, openly asserting that the heart of Germanicus Caesar could not be burnt at the funeral pile in consequence of his having been poisoned. On the other hand, the peculiar nature of the disease under which Germanicus was labouring was alleged in Piso's defence. Chapter 72 the lungs, in what animals they are largest, and in what the smallest, animals which have nothing but lungs in the interior of the body, causes which produce extraordinary swiftness in animals. Beneath the heart are the lungs, the laboratory in which the respiration is prepared. The use of these is to draw in the air and then expel it, for which purpose their substance is of a spongy nature and filled with cavernous holes. Some few among the aquatic animals have lungs, as we have already stated, and among the rest of those which are oviparous, they are small, of a fungus nature, and containing no blood. Hence it is that these animals do not experience thirst. It is for the same reason also that frogs and seals are able to remain so long under water. The tortoise, too, although it has lungs of remarkable size and extending throughout the whole of the shell, is also equally destitute of blood. The smaller the lungs are in proportion to the body, the greater the swiftness of the animal. It is in the chameleon that the lungs are the largest in proportion to the body, in which, in fact, it has no other viscera at all. Chapter 73. The liver. In what animals, and in what part, there are two livers found? The liver is on the right side. In this part is situate what has been called the head of the entrails, and it is subject to considerable variations. No liver at all was found in a victim which was sacrificed by M. Marcellus about the period when he was killed in battle against Hannibal, while a victim which was slain on the following day, a double liver was found. It was wanting also in a victim sacrificed by C. Marius at Utica, and in one which was offered by the Emperor Caius upon the calends of January, on the occasion of his entering the year of the consulship in which he was slain. The same thing happened also to his successor Claudius, in the month in which he was cut off by poison. When the late Emperor Augustus was sacrificing at Spoletum upon the first day of his entering on the imperial dignity, in six different victims the liver was found rolled over within itself from the very lowest lobe, and the answer that was given by the diviners was to the effect that, in the course of the year, he would gain a twofold sway. It is of evil omen to find an incision in the head of the entrails, except on occasions of disquietude and alarm, for then it is significant of cutting all cares, and so putting an end to them. The hairs that are found in the vicinity of Briletum and Tharn, and in the Chersonius, on the Propontis, have a double liver, but what is very singular, if they are removed to another place, they will lose one of them. End of section 6